Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. All right, well, welcome once again to Crosspoint. Uh, so glad that you have joined us this morning, wherever it is that you're joining us from. And, uh, you know, I was thinking uh, throughout this week as we were kind of trying to make a call with the, the air quality about uh, our outdoor service and if that was going to happen this week and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, kind of back and forth on the emotional roller coaster, like I'm sure everyone is, of like, oh, we were making steps forward and now we have to take a step back and that's a little discouraging. Uh, but one thing that I that I kept coming back to and just, uh, just as a word of encouragement, it's really cool that we live in a time in history and in, in a place and in a church with this set of values that really since this whole thing started, we haven't had to stop doing what we're called to do as a church. We still have the ability to meet together even if it's digitally, um, to encourage one another, to be challenged by God's word. I'm just really grateful that that's possible, and I'm grateful for the people in this church that make that possible. And today's no different. And so uh, I, my prayer for this morning is that we would um, be challenged by what God's trying to say to us through his word. And honestly, it's, it's going to be something that probably you've heard before. Um, because what we're going to talk about today is really Peter drawing us back to some foundational truths that we need to live our life by and build our life on. <clears throat> so if you are want to follow along in Scripture today, um, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 12 to 21 this morning. And last week, if you were with us, uh, we started uh, uh, this series in Second Peter. We talked through the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And we saw Peter, who, uh, who is kind of at the end of his life at this point, basically saying, like, this is what I want you to focus on. This is what is important to me. This is what matters. Above and beyond anything else, don't forget that this whole thing is about Jesus. And it's not just about the salvation he brings, which it's, that's important. It's not just about the forgiveness he offers, which that's important. He said, for, for those of us who still live out our human lives on this planet, like our whole deal is to become more like Jesus. Peter describes it as partaking or participating in the divine nature of God, really aligning our thoughts and our reactions and our feelings to those of Jesus. And he's like, this is the whole deal. This is what everything is for. So keep that at the front of your mind. <clears throat> His big message is don't ever stop growing in that. And, and we talked through a little bit like how we are supposed to do that. And today, uh, he kind of makes a slight transition and he goes, this is, this is my uh, personal, I guess, interpretation of, of the scenario. He kind of goes into like parent mode or maybe even like grandparent mode. And here's what I mean by that. In these next few verses we're going to read today, Peter really seems like he's just drawn him and be like, hey, come over here. Let me, let me tell you something that I've told you a bunch of times before this. I, I don't know if that's been your experience necessarily, but in my uh, relationship with my grandparents, that's what it was like all the time. Like, come over here. I need to tell you the same story I told you a million times. Or, hey, come over here. I need to remind you of the, the same thing that I wanted to remind you of uh, time and time again. And it kind of feels like that's what Peter is doing here. He's like, come over here and you need to hear what's most important. I'm going to remind you again. Maybe you're even groaning at the idea of hearing it again, but I'm going to remind you again what is most important. And so let's just jump right into it. Let's start reading together. We're going to start in verse 12. And verse 12 is kind of the connective verse that connects what we talked about last week to what we're going to be talking about this week, all right? 
So it says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he's saying, the things that I am telling you aren't new things. These are things that you have experienced. These are things you know. These are maybe even things you've lived out to some degree. But my intention here, my whole point here is to consistently remind you of these qualities. What are these qualities? Well, there's a reference back to the qualities that we talked about last week, as well as this pushes us forward into what we're talking about today. You may remember when we when we spent time talking last week about how uh, our faith produces certain characteristics that are in line with God's character, those characteristics, those qualities that he mentions here are things like virtue, like, like moral right living, knowledge, like a, like a desire and a passion to know more about Jesus, self-control, steadfastness, that endurance, that perseverance, holding tight to what we know to be true, godliness, the the ability to just recognize God is at work in all parts of our lives and not to segment him out to, to different things. Brotherly affection, that, that call to treat each other like we're family. And, the, and the, the crowning value over it all, love, the love that was modeled by Jesus. He's saying, like, these are, the, these are the qualities that you have been living out, and I want to remind you to keep going after them. But he's also reminding us there's more qualities that you need to be pursuing as well. And that's what we're going to look at today. So in verse 13, he continues on. He says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So he's like, so I think like the best thing that I can do here, as long as I am in this body, as long as I'm breathing, as long as I'm alive, is to stir you up, to, to ignite passion in you, to create zeal in you. Really what he's saying here is like, I'm here to pump you up. I'm here to get you excited. And then he says something that strikes me a little funny. He says, by way of reminder. I think that's really interesting that, that that's what he decides. I'm going to use reminders, things you've already heard, already experienced to pump you up, to give you passion for your relationship with Jesus. Because if I'm really honest with myself, um, and maybe this is just me, reminders don't usually pump me up. It just reminds me, oh yeah, I, I need to make sure to do that. Um, usually new pieces of information, things I haven't experienced yet, usually those are the things that pump me up. And I would venture to guess that Peter, the Peter we see in the Gospels, young Peter, he would probably agree with that. He was constantly trying to find like new insider information all the time he was trying to do that. But what we see here is that in his age and in his wisdom, Peter's taken a different approach. He says here that the things that will make us most passionate about God, because I, I would venture to say a lot of us who are watching this morning, that's what we want, right? We want to have passion for God. We feel the tension inside of us, maybe to, to lean toward apathy or to just get inside our own heads and our own worlds, but we want to have passion for God. He says the things that will make us passionate about God or have zeal toward God are things we actually already know things we've actually already experienced if we have relationship with him. And he just wants to make sure to take the time here to remind us of it without any shadow of a doubt. He continues to flesh this out a little bit in verse 14. He says, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, so there's some, there's some confirmation or something that's happened in his life where he is just so sure that he is at death's door, the death is coming for him. He's so sure of that. And because of that, he really wants to nail a few things home. In verse 15, he says, and I will make every effort 
so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. He says, I am going to harp on this so much, so often, that even after I'm gone, when you think of me, you can't help but think of these reminders, these two reminders that we are going to look at in this passage this morning. Have you ever had uh, like a parent or, or maybe a grandparent or something like that that's kind of like, they have a catchphrase. Like when you go into an interaction with them, or maybe it's like a specific situation, you always know like that they're going to tell that story, or they're going to say that phrase, or they're going to drop that joke. You just know, right? You, when you think of them, you associate it with this particular phrase or story or joke. Let me give you an example just from my own life. Uh, I work with the, the high schoolers at Crosspoint. I love doing it. It's awesome. I love those guys and girls. Um, and that landscape is consistently really changing, like a lot. Uh, but one thing that always remains consistent is uh, they end up liking each other romantically, right? There's, there's romantic ish, interest and students date and then, uh, you know, they're in love and then, then it all crashes and burns and they break up and then they get back together and then day one of the relationship is over and they start day two, right? Like, it's a consistent thing that happens always, Ever since I started doing student ministry, it always, always happens. And so that's something we as leaders get to walk through with students we care about. And so I lead one of the small groups, uh, a small group of guys, and I've led a few of those over the years. And so from time to time, a guy would come in who's in the small group. They'd sit down. We'd start talking about our lives. And they're like, they're like well, guys, I met, a, I met a pretty girl in class. And, and you know, we got talking and she's, she's like, really cool. She likes the same things I like. She, you know, she's, she's actually noticing me. So that's a plus. And so we got talking and, you know, maybe it's, maybe they put a label on it and say they're dating. Maybe it's like something else. Maybe they've only texted and never talked to each other in person, which is part of it sometimes. Um, but they kind of have this like interest from either side, this romantic interest. And, you know, our small groups, we want them to be these places where students can talk to each other and, and bounce things off each other. There's relationship there. And so whenever one of these conversations start, I always just kind of sit back at first. It's a good, it's a good uh, idea, right? To just sit back and listen. And, and they talk and, and, you know, usually someone else in the group is like, oh, I know them. Yeah, they're cool. Or I know them. And then they don't say anything else because they have a different opinion about the person. And, and the conversation rolls and rolls. And then without fail, at some point, the conversation hits a lull and all eyes turn to me and they're like, just say it, Kyle. I'm like, what? I, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You're like, yes, you do. Just say it. Just come out and say it. We know the question you're going to ask. You ask it every single time. We knew you were going to ask it from the moment we walked in here. Just, just come out and say it. I'd be like, okay, okay, if you guys want me to. And so the question I always ask any, any guy or any girl is like, does he or she love Jesus? And there's this collective groan, like, oh, we knew you were going to say that. You always say that. And so when they think of me and they think of their dating relationships, they always think, oh, does she love Jesus or does he love Jesus? That's always the first thought that they go to. My wife is the same way. She has lots and lots of interaction with high school girls uh, who, you know, are walking through their teenage years. They need guidance and that kind of thing. And, and I'll never forget it. There was this one instance where she had been texting this girl in the high school group and maybe she had made some like poor decisions and she was trying to figure out how to navigate them. And she said, can I just come over, Megan? Megan said, yeah, of course, sure. She busts in the door and she's like, I already know what you're going to say, Megan. You're just going to say, do the next right thing. Megan was like, well, yep, that is what I was going to say, right? 
Like there are certain things that we mention enough times that they become synonymous with who we are, right? And that's what Peter is saying here. He's like, I want you, these Christians that I love and care about, I want you, when you think of me, I want your mind to be drawn to these two reminders. This is kind of like the legacy that I am leaving. I want you, your mind to be drawn to these two reminders every time you think about me. And honestly, it's a really good legacy. He said, when you walk through life, when you walk through circumstances, good and bad, when you encounter teaching that's awesome and teaching that is false and wrong, which he spends a lot of time talking about in this letter, he's like, I always want you to be reminded of these two things. He says, I want to remind you of what I have seen and experienced and what we can know. He says, I want you to be reminded of what I have seen and what we can know. And so we're going to kind of break those two things apart. We're going to look at each of them because I believe these are the same two things that we need to constantly remind ourselves of if we are going to continue to become more like Jesus and grow in our relationship with him. So the first thing that Peter lays out here, we're going to find in verse 16, if you're following along. Here's what he says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, we didn't come to you with a fancy story. We didn't come to you with something that we just made up. That wasn't our deal. Instead, he said, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. We were there. We experienced these things with Jesus. And then he gives a a, a pretty powerful example. Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So if, you're, if you've been around church, maybe you're kind of like, I, I know this story, I, I get where this is headed. But, but if you haven't really been around church, you might be thinking, what in the world is he talking about there? What Peter's doing is he's drawing these readers' attention to an experience that he had and actually an experience that we get to read about in the Gospels. It's it's referred to as the transfiguration, and it was this powerful, powerful experience encounter that Peter had with Jesus. It shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So three out of the four Gospels, this this story shows up. And and I actually want to take us to the account that's written down in the book of Mark because it's an it's a powerful, powerful experience. We're going to read Mark chapter 9. It's going to be verses 2 through 9. So if you want to follow along, you can, or you can just sit and listen to this encounter. Here's what it says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. Now, Peter and James and John, they were like Jesus' best friends. They were kind of this inner circle. They got to experience a handful of things that the other disciples didn't, okay? And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. He was transformed. He was changed right before their eyes. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. So Jesus completely transforms, and they get to see him like in his full divinity, like in his full godness. And they're, so they're struggling to even come up with terms to describe what they're, what they're seeing. But he wasn't alone. And verse four, it says, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, two huge figures in the Jewish tradition and in the Old Testament. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, hothead, brash Peter, who's always ahead of himself, gotta love him. 
He said, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Like, that's the best thing you come up with here. He's seeing Jesus completely, like, transform from his eyes. Like, we should build some tents for these guys. And I love it, like, Mark and also Luke, they kind of call Peter out on this. And verse 6 says, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So Peter was so scared. He's like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. We should build tents. Like, that's the, that's the best idea that he could come up with. A pretty crazy scenario, intense scenario. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus alone. So this is an eyewitness experience that Peter had with Jesus, where he saw him in all of his majesty and glory And what's interesting to me is that the end of his life, Peter is still thinking about this encounter. So much so that he decided to write it down and use it as the example, drawing these people that he cares about's attention to uh, this eyewitness encounter and experience. I don't want to read into things or put things where they shouldn't be, but I would venture to say it was probably on the front of Peter's mind during most of his life. Like, Put yourself in his shoes. How in the world could that experience not change you? Like, was Peter perfect? Did he ever, was he completely perfect after this moment? No, of course not. We see him fail so many times. We get front row seat to that. But guaranteed that this was a significant moment in his life for the rest of his life. And he takes the time to remind these Christians that he cares about. He says, Jesus is worth it. And one of the reasons I know that is because of what I have experienced. See, I think the same challenge applies to us. That as we walk through life, we need to constantly remind ourselves of what we have seen and what we have experienced in relationship to Jesus. We, we, haven't, we aren't Peter. Like, we, we haven't experienced Jesus the exact same way that he has. Jesus didn't physically take us up onto a mountain or anything like that. But Jesus was really clear when he walked this earth that he was going to send the Holy Spirit so that we could experience him and experience him in power. Make no doubt about it. I mean, a, a life lived for Jesus is experiential in nature. And I don't know, depending on like the context you grew up in, what kind of church you grew up in, you might be sitting out there and you kind of feel the, the hair on the back of your neck like raise up, be like, what, what are you saying here? We should just follow like experience after experience. I thought we, I thought we based what we do out, out of the Bible, out of what's true, out of what's concrete. And I hear you and I understand that. And I understand that maybe you can look out and see examples of where experience has been, experiences with God has been abused, or maybe people are basing their entire relationship with Jesus just off of the experiences they've had. But what I can't get past is that following Jesus is about relationship, and relationships are about experience. See, the Bible actually has a, a name for people who just fill their head with facts and laws. It's the Pharisees, and we all know how Jesus interacted with them. Instead, Jesus calls us into relationship, and relationship is experiential in nature. I believe this to be true. Every follower of Jesus has had a powerful experience or encounter with him. Otherwise, why in the world would we follow him? The cost is too great if you haven't. 
We've all had maybe a moment or a series of moments in our lives where we got to see God in a way that we had never seen him before. We got to experience him in powerful ways that that are kind of unexplainable, maybe on the one hand, but were very, very significant. And I don't know exactly what it was for you, but I bet if you think hard enough, you can, you can pull it into your memory. Maybe it was like just a, a, a highly emotional or dramatic moment, and that's perfectly fine. Or maybe there was no drama or emotion attached to it at all. You just knew that you needed to make that decision to follow Jesus, or you just saw a new part of his heart. Maybe it was something that happened to you in the context of other people, in a gathering or with others. Maybe it's something you experienced alone with God. Maybe it was like exactly what you expected and maybe it caught you by surprise. See, I think it can look different, but one constant is that it changed you and you can't forget it. Even if you're not a Christian, I think even those, those, those who are watching who aren't Christians, I, I still would say you probably have had encounters and experiences with God, even if you weren't looking for them. Because Jesus doesn't say, like, get yourself together, come to me, and then we'll have a big experience here. No, Jesus comes right to where you are. I'll never forget this. Uh, there was this young man who lived in Nova Scotia where, where my wife and I used to live. And he was part of the youth group, and he wasn't a Christian, and he didn't really know what he thought about Jesus. But he liked enough what was going on in the youth group to be around. And we were taking a group of students to, like, a conference. And he was like, a trip? Yeah, I would love to be a part of that. Let's, let's do this thing. And so he came along not really knowing what he was getting into. And there was, uh, you know, a few sessions where there was like really awesome teaching and, and powerful time of, of worship through music. And, and I remember standing there and, and we're, we're worshiping and the spirit's moving and God's changing people. And I see something out of the corner of my eye and he's over here, like doing everything in his power to ignore what God was trying to do in his life. Like he's looking for anything to distract himself, like all over the place to the point where I was like, are you okay? Like I leaned over and I was like, hey man, like, are you okay? He was like, I don't know, man. I'm like, I'm like feeling some things here. And then he said it to me like this. He's like, I think your Jesus is getting to me. And in that moment, like he didn't come looking to have an encounter with God, but God met him right where he was. And I don't know where that kid is now, but I feel pretty confident saying, I doubt he ever forgot that experience. And so for those of us who have surrendered our lives over to Jesus, I pray that we never get to the spot where we look back at the experiences that we've had with God, the the things that we've seen God do in our lives and have a calloused heart toward them. What Peter is advocating here is to consistently remind ourselves of what we have seen and experienced, just like he did with his experience with Jesus. Because the experiences that we've had with Jesus, they give us strength for the here and now. When we are anxious, we need to remember the peace that we've experienced in relationship to Jesus. When temptation is overwhelming, we need to remember the strength that we've experienced in Jesus. When, When the pressure is too much, we need to remember the endurance and perseverance that we have experienced in Jesus. When we just get super full of ourselves, we need to remember the humility that we've experienced in Jesus. Peter implores these Christians and us, like, remind yourself consistently of what you have seen and experienced. But that's not all he says. He actually gives an an awesome counterbalance. He says experience is really important, but he also says remind yourself of what you can know, what you can concretely know. Because here's the deal. There's a lot in this world we don't get to know. 
This season is a perfect example of that, right? There's just a ton we don't get to know. And the same is true in our relationship with God. There's some things maybe we won't completely ever understand, but there is a whole bunch that we absolutely can. And it's given to us in the form of scripture. It says in verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. So he's saying that there's more prophecy in the Old Testament that has been confirmed up to this point where he wrote this letter. There's more confirmed now than there's ever been before. Doesn't it all point toward Jesus being who he said he was? He says, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So this isn't like something that can get messed up by human intervention. This is by the Holy Spirit. It says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying, we have scripture that supports who Jesus said he was. And these are things we can know because these are things that are proven. I get so frustrated sometimes that a general feeling toward Christians is like, if you're gonna be like a Jesus person, if you're gonna be a follower of God, you kind of have to turn in your like rationale and like intelligence card. Like if you're really gonna believe in like some guy floating in the sky, you must like hate science and hate facts and hate, hate intelligence. I just don't think anything could be further from the truth because when we have this book, really a collection of books in the form of the Bible. They shouldn't work together. They were written so far apart from each other, from so many different places, from so many different people, different languages. A fourth of it was written as prophetic, which means when it was written, the the events that it was describing hadn't happened yet. And there's over a thousand prophecies in the Bible. 500 of them have been fulfilled Jesus himself fulfilled over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. We, we call them the messianic prophecies that are meant to point to who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Some of them he did on purpose to like prove a point and he, he is who he says he is. Some of them he didn't even have any control over, like where he was born and how he would die and how people would feel about him. The Bible actually makes a really great case that we can trust Jesus because they're things that we can know. So when our experience doesn't match up with who God is, because our experience sometimes has our own flavor added to it, we can trust what we can know concretely, definitively in scripture. And Peter says, this is a perfect way to light your path forward. He references it as a lamp shining in a dark place because when we are steeped in darkness, it's really hard to move forward. Have you ever tried to navigate like a pitch black room before? Uh, No matter how many times you've done it, like you still always end up like stubbing your toe or running into something, right? At least that's my experience. That happened to me this morning, actually. I was up before the sun uh, this morning. I just wanted to give this a little bit more time. And so it was dark in my house. And so I was trying to, as quietly as possible, get out. I have five kids. And so when one of them wakes up, they all wake up. And then that is a problem, right? So you need to, you have to have like ninja level stealth to get out of my house. And so I... I know where the creaks in the floor are. I know where the the furniture juts out. Like I know all that. Um, So you would think that even though it was dark, because I didn't want to wake anyone up, even though it was dark, I should have been able to navigate my way out. But guess what happened this morning? I stepped on things. I stubbed my toe. I ran into the the dresser. I'm surprised the kids didn't wake up. The reality is no matter how many times we've walked through a situation, if it's pitch black, we probably will hurt ourselves 
And what Peter is saying, don't ignore a light that's been given to you that will make this so much easier. Don't stumble around in the dark when the light is right here. Use it. And the Bible has never been more available and it's never been more accessible and it's never been more understandable. Yet so many of us, we still wander around stubbing our toes rather than take the time to remind ourselves of what we can know about who Jesus is and about what he wants for our life. Peter says, be encouraged by what you can know and let it strengthen and test what you have been, what you have experienced. He's advocating this balance between knowledge and experience, encounters and the, the, the facts that we can know about who God is and about how he's called us to live. This whole letter is really advocating spiritual maturity. Uh, and, and when we hear that word, I think a lot of times what the image that pops into our head is consistently learning more and more new things about God. Maybe we need to like make a shift in our thinking. Maybe, maybe spiritual maturity isn't learning more and more new things about God. Maybe spiritual maturity is really knowing the things that we've already learned about God. These two, these two reminders that Peter throws out, they honestly, they seem pretty like elementary, right? They seem pretty basic, that, that we're just consistently supposed to remind ourselves of what we've seen and experienced, and we're just consistently supposed to remind ourselves of what we can know for sure through the Bible, I thought we were on to other things. See, what Peter does is he's like, these are the foundational blocks. Everything you build on these is dependent on us making sure that we take great care to take care of the foundation. So the challenge for this week is to kind of pull back a little bit. Take time this week to intentionally remember what you have seen God do in your life and in the world. Take time this week to consistently remind yourself of the experiences that you have had with God where he changed you. And the second thing we can do this week is to take time intentionally to remember what we can know. Whether that's starting a Bible plan or just carving out time where nothing else is going to touch this. It's just going to be time where I interact with God's word, whether it's loading up some reputable YouTube videos and like doing a little bit of study on, on what the Bible's saying and what it's saying about Jesus in our life. What, if, what would our life look like if we took the time to intentionally do that? See, I think that if we start where we need to, by consistently remembering what God's done and what we can know to be true, then as we learn more about who God is, about how he's called us to live, about how we're supposed to interact with this world, then that life can be trusted. And that is a life that is all about becoming more like Jesus. And that's a life that has growth as its focal point. Would you pray with me? And then I have a couple pieces of information I wanna share with you before you uh, head out this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for just the constant call to growth, God. Um, I'm really, really grateful that you've called us to uh, keep in step with you. Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would consistently put ourselves in a place where we are reminding ourselves what you've done in our life, what we've seen you do. God, I pray that we consistently put ourselves in a spot where we are reminded and we remember what we can know about you, even if it doesn't line up for what we feel in the moment. And God, I pray that as we make sure that that foundation is sure and solid, then, then, then as we walk this out, um, Lord, that you would build us into the type of people that look like you. Lord, I so do not want to get to the end of my life with a head full of Bible trivia. Lord, I want to get to the end of my life as a person who resembles you more than resembles me. 
And God, I pray that that would be the, the heart's cry, the prayer of everyone here at Cross Point. Thank you so much that you have not called us to an impossibility, but in fact, you've given us everything we need to be able to live that kind of life. We love you. We thank you in your awesome name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.